So, get your, get your pen and paper ready. We're going to look at some verses. Okay? So, the topic today, this is the last week in the study, Explore God. All right? We've covered a plethora of topics, uh, which, again, was intended for uh, non-believers and those young in their faith who don't have a lot of understanding of theology, I can't even say that right. Theology, understanding of scriptures, how to live a Christian life. And so I know that some of these topics have been like way under your radar and you're like, oh my gosh, this is boring, right? But uh, hopefully that God's been able to teach you something through this study. But all of that is to get us to the climax of today. Today's topic, I believe, is the focus of the entire study. The topic today is, is it really possible to have a relationship with God? Is it really impossible to have a relationship with God? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And this really pertains no matter where you are on the theological spectrum or the spirituality ladder. uh, But uh, I think it's relevant to all of us. The the scripture that I, I want to start with today comes out of Galatians 2. And it's one that Noah read. It's a verse a lot of you have heard. There's been a lot of songs about it, but I want you to ponder these words. And I'm going to start with 17, even though this was not read. This is an argument between Paul and Peter over how you do ministry into different groups. And, uh, and they, we're not going to get into the whole argument. We're going to start in verse 17 where it says, If, while we seek to be justified in Christ. Justified is a fancy word that basically means to be made right with God. To be made right. If you're writing a paper in English class to justify your margins, mean that they're flush all the way around. They're spread out to exact even. They're flush, they're perfect, they're right. And so to be justified in Christ means to be made right with Christ. In all areas of our lives, to be justified, to be flush with Christ. It says that it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. You will never get justified with Christ as long as you have an understanding that I'm not a sinner or that my sin's not that bad or that I'm a good person or that I'm just not as bad as other people, you know. Uh, So when we try to compare ourselves to others and we deny the fact that we are sinners and that we are full of sin and that our, our natural desire is to be sinful, if we deny that, then we will never be justified. When you work with addicts, like like Scott does now, and I used to, but when you work with addicts, the first thing is, if you're going to get help, you need to accept that you have a problem. And if you cannot accept that you have a sin problem, you'll never get better, right? You just can't keep denying the elephant in the room. So it says that it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Of course not. Absolutely not. But if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Because in the Old Testament, the Jewish tradition was they had all these laws, 613 man-made laws to go along with God's Big Ten. And they had all these laws in place to to get you close to God without violating um, sin, basically, without committing sin. But it goes on to say that, we were all still lawbreakers. Because of the law, we were lawbreakers. We're not capable of living up to the law. We're not capable of following all the rules and guidelines because of our sinful nature, because of Adam and Eve and the good work they did in the garden for us. They set the stage for us to fail. And because of that, 
the law is always going to be standing there as judgment over us. He says in 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And then we said at verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. So the law is, is an interesting thing because people are always trying to be good people. They're trying to do it by their strength, by their ability, and for their purpose. And so if you could be good on your own, then you wouldn't need Christ, basically. But the fact is, is that none of us have the ability to be good. When Jesus was approached and somebody called him the good teacher, Jesus said, who are you calling good? Don't you not know that God alone is good? And if God is the only one who's good, remember, Christ didn't even refer to himself as good. But if God is the only one good, then that means that none of us are. And if none of us are good, then that means we're all sinful and broken and incapable of fixing our own sin problem. And so this is what God had in mind from the beginning. We have been crucified with Christ. For those of us who have this faith in God now and this relationship with God, we have been crucified with Christ. And now we no longer live, but Christ lives inside of us. So this is just... This is some imagery that God has just been teaching me lately, and I want you to kind of grasp this and and accept it for yourself. And I alluded to this a couple weeks ago. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it severed the intended relationship that God had for them, the purpose that that God had for them. It severed it. God wanted to, to walk with them in the garden. He wanted to have fellowship with them. He wanted to have relationship with them in the garden. But when they sinned, it made them defiled. It made them darkened to where he, being fully light, can no longer have fellowship with darkness. So it severed and put a wedge between his relationship with those people. And so that forever has separated all of us. We all come into the world with this sinful nature. And every time we sin, it just puts that wedge in further and further between us and God, separating us. And and after a while, literally, you will be so far away from God that when he speaks, you'll never hear his voice. When he screams, you'll never hear it. When he When he reaches out to touch you with his love and goodness, you still won't accept it. So because we're so far away from him, we're like oblivious to who he is. And so God has to do the work of trying to reach out to us and pull us back. How does he do that? Well, he does it with his spirit that, that gets our attention before we're, we're saved, before we know that there's a God. He knows us and reveals himself to us, and then he starts pulling us to himself. And as we get closer and closer to him, then a couple things happen. One, we become more and more aware of our sinfulness. And as an opposite to that, we become more and more aware of his righteousness. And that that creates a a problem in us that cannot be resolved. It, It becomes this nagging pain in our spirit that cannot be alleviated. And so then God begins to teach us through scriptures, through the testimony of others, through through his spirit. He tries to teach us that we have a sin problem. And if we would turn to the Lord, he can fix that sin problem because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us to give us relief from that sin problem, to put an end to it permanently. 
And so that's why it says here that Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. We share in the death with Christ. When we believe in him or are baptized, we are put into the water. We are, we are, are buried with him in the water and we're put to death, our sinful nature, our old past, our old bodies, our old history. And then we're raised out of the water with this new life in Christ Jesus. And that is what gives us that joy and that peace and that hope that we never had before. That's what gives us that peace that that was always elusive to us and never allowed us to sleep at night and never really gave us satisfaction. And so God is at work in in all of us prior to salvation to bring us to a place of peace because he doesn't want us to be in turmoil. He doesn't want us to be miserable in this world. He doesn't want you turning to drugs and everything else in the world. He wants you to turn to him so that he can have fellowship with you. So Paul says, at the point of his salvation, he no longer lived for himself, but he died to himself so that now Christ can live inside of him. So here's my premise here. This is where I'm headed. If the work of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden separated them from the relationship with God, and this is our theme today, is it possible to have a relationship with God? I definitively say absolutely it's possible. Because when we come to a place of restoration, now God is not just in a relationship with us like, like you know, one of your best friends. It's more intimate than that. He comes inside of us and takes up residency inside of us so that we can have him at our disposal all the time, so that we can have this intimate relationship with him all the time, so that we can talk to him and he will hear us and he will respond and he can talk to us and we will hear him and we will respond. He wants to be in a relationship with us, but like no other relationship you'll ever have, he wants to be inside of you. And so that's what I want to pull out in this particular verse. When Paul was crucified with Christ, he no longer lived for himself, but Christ lives inside of him. Christ, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, lives inside of him. Now, I don't know that you all think like this, because I didn't until just recently when God opened my eyes to this. I would always say, yes, I have a relationship with God. Well, what does that relationship look like? Well, just like any other relationship, if I need to talk to, to, to Paige, I call her up, send her a text message, then they respond, right? And, and, and a lot of times I'll go the whole day and never talk to her because she's busy or I'll be busy. That's relationship. We get together, we have dinner, say, all right, good night, see you tomorrow, you know, and that's it. That's the re- normal relationship. But also when we tell people we love them because of our humanness, because of our flesh, we'll say, I love you. But what that really means is I need you. So love has become a selfish thing. And when we say, I love you, what we really want to know is, do you love me? Because I need you to love me. And we, we think this way, I have certainly, that if I didn't have Paige in my life, what would I do because I need her in my life? Well, that's not love. That's need. Love is when I want her in my life, and I want to be in her life, and I want to do whatever I can to make her life better. That's love. Not self-seeking, not selfish, but selfless. And so God wants us to love him, not because we need him or the benefits that he, he could give us, but just because he's God and we want to love him back. 
because we want him. And that's why I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and uh, they were missing it. Uh, I, I made the mistake of saying, it just frustrates me when people, you know, will go a long time without going to church. And, and uh, maybe that's a pastor thing, or maybe it's a personal thing. I don't, maybe I take it personally, I don't know. But then this person said, well, I really hate when religious people, or not, didn't say that. I hate when people go to church and think they're better than everybody else just because they go to church. And I said, well, that would be religion. That's what religious people do. But what God wants is for people to love him and to just want to be with him. That's what he's after. He's not after sacrifices. He's not after all your money. He's after your heart. He's after your love. He wants you just to enjoy being with him. And he wants you to enjoy him being inside of you. But what we do is we say, okay, I just want to compartmentalize. I want God in me when I go to church on Sunday or when, when I have a problem in my life. But I certainly don't want God in me when I'm, when I'm, you know, at a party with the friends. You know, when we're tailgating at Soldier Field, I don't necessarily want God inside of me then because he'll put a damper on my party, right? And so we compartmentalize. We say, I want God in me, but not all the time. Well, does that sound like love to you? It doesn't, does it? God wants to come and live inside of us. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. To be crucified means that you've died. That he has completely put an end to his previous life and now he's a new creation and he has a new goal, a new outlook on life, a new attitude because Christ is now living inside of him. He's a new person. He says, the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have to ask the question, is this relationship with God, is this really based on love? Because we have to be honest, sometimes we don't love him. Sometimes we don't love him more than ourselves or love him more than our kids or whatever. So is it really based on love? Well, he's saying that from God's perspective, it is 100% based on love. Now, here's evidence of this, okay? Now, this is something I used to, I always missed it, and you may have too. I was listening to a sermon by Dan Moeller, who I think is an amazing preacher. Uh, but he said this, and I'm like, ah, that's exactly right. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Here, here's the way we look at that. He says, he said it this way, and these are not exact words. God was not sitting on his throne in heaven, and one day he says, that's it, I've had it. I'm sick and tired of everybody's sinfulness. I'm tired of them turning their backs on me. I'm absolutely just tired of it. Now I'm going to send Jesus to the earth to save them from their sins because I'm absolutely sick and tired of their sinful behavior. That's not what he says. But that's how we look at God. God doesn't like me because of my sin. God doesn't like me because of my sinful behavior. He doesn't like it because I keep messing up. I keep going into my addiction. I keep falling on my face. God can't possibly love me because I can't love myself because of all these problems. But God didn't say in John three sixteen, I sent Jesus because you guys were a bunch of wretches. He said, I sent my son because I love you. For God so loved, he sent his son. Not because God hated, not because he was frustrated or because he just was about to pull his hair out. He sent his son because he loves you. No other reason. 
It's 100% love on his behalf that sets the stage for relationship. So if you don't have a relationship with God, it's not because he has erred. It's because we have erred and we have refused to, to submit to it. We have refused and we have resisted and we just can't handle it. And people who are, who are um, very aware of their sinfulness will do that. There was a time when Peter, and I wasn't planning on, on going over this, but it just stands in my mind. There was a time when Peter was, was taking care of his fishing business or whatever. And Jesus came along and he says, Peter, I want to go to your house. And he said, no, no, you can't come to me. No, you can't touch me. No, you can't pray for me. You know, No, don't come visit me. No, no, no. But Jesus said, yes, 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 right? It was his sinfulness that said, stay away from me. It was Isaiah chapter 6. When he saw the Lord seated upon his throne, high and lifted up, he says, ah, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Stay away from me. And then the, the angel came and touched his lips with a live coal and says, no, I put my words in your mouth. You know, uh, But that's what happens. And so we all, if we still resist God, it's because of our sinfulness, because of our fear, because of our brokenness. But God wants to love us, so he keeps pursuing us anyway. And he tries to communicate this simple message. I don't care how many sins you have. I don't care how ugly you may feel when you look in a mirror. I love you anyway. You're not living the way I uh, ascribe to you, the way I desire for you. I feel bad for you, but I want to be in relationship with you as you are, not as you should be. But yet we still continue to push him away. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. That sounds like love to me. That sounds like love. Not condemnation, love. Sometimes he'll rebuke, but love. Sometimes he will correct, but always love. But he is not going to condemn. He didn't send his son to condemn, but to save. Now, unfortunately, some will continue to resist him. Some will continue to shun him. And for them, they will be condemned, but by their own choosing, not because of his choosing. Let me look at a couple other verses here. In Romans 8, 9 through 11, it says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of your sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness in you. God's righteousness is what makes you worthy, not our righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you, then he who is raised, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives inside of you. To me, that sounds like God desires a relationship with his creation. He desires a relationship with every single one of us, no one excluded. He desires to be dwelling inside of us that he may have intimate relationship with us. So why in the world would we continue to push him away? 2 Corinthians 13.5, just so you don't think this is a fad, but an actual teaching here. He says, do you not realize that Christ is in you? Do you not realize that Christ is in you? I, I, I wonder sometimes. 
because I, I look back in hindsight, and I've had many times where people say, woe is me, woe is me, woe is my family, woe is this, woe is this, because they're just so negative and so dwelling on the problems instead of the one who could be a solution to those problems. And so at those times, you want to say, do you not realize that Christ is in you? I had someone very, very close to me who is an awesome person actually said the other day, I invited this person to a prayer time, and the person says, do I really have anything to contribute? I won't mention names. But I had to say, but the the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. Of course you have something to offer in prayer. We all do because Christ is in us. The next one, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when God, who set men apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son, where? In me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Christ revealed his son, or God revealed his son in me. Ephesians three sixteen and 19. Hopefully you're starting to learn this is not just some kind of a, a gimmick. This is actual stuff here. Ephesians 3, 16, 19, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. A couple more, and then I'll tie things up here. Colossians 1.27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he calls this, this a mystery, Christ in you, a mystery. If you think about it, it is a mystery. How did he get in? How do I know he's in there? How do I, I know how long he stays? Is he going to come and go? You know, this is like a hotel for him. You know, is he, is he going to ever yell at me and say, no, don't turn the channel? You know, what, how do I know he's in me? This is a mystery, right? But this is, this is what we're talking about. I remember in seminary, they, they, they taught us on this topic a lot. And, and they said, remember one thing. When somebody comes through the line after church and they say, good sermon, just remember it's not you they're thanking for the sermon. They're thanking Christ in you who spoke the sermon to them, right? Uh, they went on very, they went a lot further than this. They said, and also remember that, uh, if there's ever a, a young lady in the church who might show you some attention, remember that it's not you, it's Christ in you that she's attracted to. And I think that is why so many preachers fail in that particular sin. 
Because in, a, in that moment, they start to think, wow, she sees value in me. She sees something interesting in me. And yes, she does. But the problem is it's not you. It's Christ in you. Christ is extremely attractive to people. Christ is extremely attractive to those who are hurting and wounded and broken. He's for them. And through you, he wants you to reach out to them to help them not take advantage of them. In 2 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, On the day that he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all of those who have believed. This is talking about the future. You know, when Christ returns, on the day he comes, it's going to be to be glorified in us. In us, he will be glorified. Not outside of us, not away from us, but inside of us, he will be glorified. And all the world will see him at work because he is in us. And so the question that we have to grasp with is, is he inside of me? And how do I know that he's inside of me? What is he doing in me that I could never do without his help? What is he doing in me that I cannot do for myself? What is he trying to teach me that I cannot teach myself? What is he trying to do? He's trying to be in relationship with you. He's simply trying to show you how much he loves you. And I think that many of us have lost that understanding. We still, for some reason, think that he's a God of judgment. He's a God up there of hellfire and brimstone. He's there to punish us. He's there to discipline. He's there to condemn us. Because that's what we want to do to ourselves. Because that's what we think we deserve. But here's the problem. We don't understand how deeply he loves us. How perfectly he thinks that we are in his kingdom. And yes, if we would repent and turn from the wickedness and come back to him, he wants to come back inside of us and continue with his his intended purpose. He wants to be glorified in us for the sake of this dying world. And when we act like sinners, the world loses focus of who God is. When we act hateful and mean, the world thinks, I don't see God in you. And, And I'm not being judgmental here because I'm the biggest of all sinners. Not just saying that because it sounds good for dramatic effect. I am the biggest of sinners, physically and spiritually. I'm just a little bit bigger, maybe. <laughs> Once you get out of the military, you might catch up with me, though. <laughs> but, uh, but the fact is, I am a huge sinner. And God is dealing with me on that. And the closer you get to the Lord, he will deal with you more. Because uh, when you're away from the Lord and you sin you're not going to have that conviction as deeply as if you were, if you actually had him living inside of you and living through you. He would say, no, don't make me look bad on this one. No, he wouldn't do that, but, but that's what we think. He just wants to have relationship with you. So do I think it's possible? Absolutely possible. The question is, do you want to have a relationship with him? Do you want him to live inside of you and to do amazing things through you for the sake of a dying world. Do you want that? Because that's what he wants. He doesn't want you to be wrestling with your sinful behaviors. He doesn't want you hating yourself because of the mistakes that you've made. He doesn't want you hating others because of the mistakes they've made towards you. He just wants to love you and love the world through you. That's his plan. Sin messed it up. 
But the death on the cross of Jesus and the blood that he shed for us fixes the problem. But we now, it's the decision's up to us. Are we going to let him in or are we going to push him out? That's up to you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are truly amazing. You are truly gracious and you are love. Not once in the scriptures does it say that you needed us or that you need us to love you. It just says that you want to give. You want to love. You want to embrace. You want to fix. You want to heal. You want to have fellowship with us. So, Father, I pray as we end up this series, I pray that you will draw us to yourself. Pray that you'll open our eyes, that we, we know that we'll have a sin problem, but you can fix it. I pray that you open our eyes, Lord, that you want more of us, that you want to do more in us and through us. Help us, Father, to quit resisting, but just to trust that you know what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves the way you see us, perfect in all of our glory because of the blood of Christ. Help us to see that so that we'll quit being ashamed of ourselves and quit living in guilt. Father, help us to, to... be crucified with Christ so that you may live inside of us. In Jesus, we humbly pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our hymn. If you would like for me to come pray for you, and come.